and a reminder that Kelly Bean's funeral is at 10 o'clock Tuesday here. <clears throat> Kay and I met Bud uh, when we went to Tulsa Central, I think probably in 75. So we've known him a long time. And it's an answer to prayers that we have Bud with us now, because I know the quality of his ministry. Our call to worship is from section 18, 2N. Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit, and you shall have peace in me. Let's stand and sing hymn number 41. Dear Heavenly Father, I would ask that you grant us your Holy Spirit to be with us and to be with, with Bud as he brings us the words that you've laid on his heart, that we might live by these principles and not just live by them, but share them with others. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's incredibly humbling to, uh, to stand and address a congregation totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for his work in my life that brought me here today. I want to share with you a couple of things before I begin the message. 
One of them is this book, Hope for Each Day, by Billy Graham. It's a daily devotional. And uh, <laughs> there it was. <laughs> and there's a, a story in it that I wanted to share with you. An elderly, godly man who lay on his deathbed called for his grandson and said to his grandson, I don't know what I will be doing in heaven, but if I'm permitted, I'm going to ask God to let me build your mansion. You be sure to send up plenty of good material. And then this book I've recommended a couple of times, Unoffendable. I'm continuing to read this and just get incredible insight about how to be the Christian that I am called to be and that I desire to be. And uh, I read a short paragraph from it Wednesday night at prayer service. I, I'd like to read it again to those of you who were not here. It's short, but it's incredibly powerful. Just as we've invented righteous anger, we've justified our worry, our constant sense of threat and insecurity. But Timothy Keller tells us that worrying is ultimately simple arrogance. Naturally, if you love people, you're going to worry about them. But do you know where constant worry comes from? It's rooted in an arrogance that assumes, I know the way my life has to go and God's not getting it right. Real humility means to relax. Real humility means to laugh at yourself. Real humility means to be self-critical. We hold on to worry because we don't trust God. We hold on to anger because we don't trust God. We feel threatened because we're insecure and we're insecure because we don't trust God. When you start practicing it, you realize choosing to be unoffendable means actually, for real, trusting God. When I first went to work at the Department of Human Services back when I was in my early 30s, a woman that uh, became sort of a mentor to me that taught me the 1960s designed software that DHS was still using. She gave me this and, and I just got a real kick out of it, but it's so profound. It's titled, What I Know. There's something I don't know that I'm supposed to know. I don't know what it is I don't know, and I feel I look stupid because if I seem both to know it, not to know it and not know what it is I don't know, therefore I pretend I know it. This is nerve-wracking since I don't know what I must pretend to know. Therefore, I pretend to know everything. I feel you know what I'm supposed to know, but you can't tell me what it is because you don't know that I don't know what it is. You may know what I don't know, but not that I don't know it, and I can't tell you. So you will have to tell me everything. And when I first became a Christian, what I knew was I needed to get right with God. I had left the church when I was 15 and I came back at age 25 in a desperate awareness that I needed salvation, I needed to be right with God, and I wasn't even sure what that process was. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit has brought me a, a, a good measure of the way to understanding it better. What I want to share with you this morning is the gospel of salvation. I'm going to 
I'm going to sh show four parts that I feel have become the core of understanding the gospel. One is hearing the gospel. Two is accepting the gospel. And then three is evidence of your salvation from having heard the, go the gospel and accepted it. And then four, the fourth step, the final step, is the consummation. Amos 3.7 said, God does nothing without first revealing it to his servant, the prophets. All through history, there's been a prophet who has foretold the works of God. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God in us is us being who we've been created to be, conformed to the character of Christ. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The fullness of the gospel can be kind of condensed down to this paragraph. From the beginning of man's walk on earth, the birth of a Savior was prophesied repeatedly that he would be born of a virgin as the Son of God, be crucified for the sins of all men, then be buried and resurrected on the third day. After his death, by crucifixion, he appeared repeatedly to multiple people who witnessed his death and resurrection, and those facts cannot be reasonably refuted. Then in front of multitudes of witnesses, he said, I go to the Father to prepare a place for you and to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. He then ascended into the clouds in heaven. No other person in history has done anything similar to this. He walked on water, he healed the sick, fed the hungry, raised the dead, and his teachings amazed the learned and had the unmistakable ring of truth. He claimed to be the Son of God and the one way to heaven. And here's a, a thing he said that still causes amazement for me. He told his followers, greater things than I have done shall you do. And as I've pondered that over the years, just more recently I've come to the realization that the power that created everything, the galaxies, the heavens, the earth, everything on it, all of us, that power through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, that power now indwells us. When our faith is sufficient and our love for God and others is sufficient, there are things that might be accomplished through our, our union with the Holy Spirit that we cannot yet imagine. And for those who have ears to hear, we all at any point in our life have our own created reality and truth. I once believed that after I left the church at 15, I thought, there's probably a God. His son is probably Jesus Christ. But Christianity doesn't work for me. And I left and 
chose a destructive path that led me to a, a spot at age 25. There was a complete breaking. There was the realization that my life was an absolute wreck. I was at death's door. I had a choice that was very simple, life or death. If I choose life, I have to reconcile with God and get right with him. And there's a time before that when I thought, maybe there's a God, but I'm okay because I'm a good person. If there's a heaven, I will make it because I'm a good person. I obviously wasn't a good person. In my mind, I was. My friends told me I was. But I was living in rebellion to God, and by my life's witness to others, you wouldn't know that there was a Jesus or a God. Once we're convinced of a lie, it's harder to give up the lie and accept the truth than it was to accept the lie in the first place. And having accepted that lie, that the crucifixion had nothing for me personally, yeah, Christ died for the world, but what's that mean to me? Nothing. I'd accepted that lie. And currently in the U.S., there are more than 200 different Christian denominations and a staggering 45,000 globally. Those are people who are called to be united in, in Jesus Christ, and yet there's 200 different labels of Christian churches here in the States, and a staggering 45,000 globally. What does that mean? Too often, we start majoring in the minors is one way to put it. We take our focus away from lifting up Jesus Christ and we focus on things that divide us. I believe that the purpose of the church is to unite us all firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's hard to get everybody together when they're, when they're so determined to depart from the instructions that are in Scripture. But I believe that if we lift up Jesus Christ, that his spirit will unite us. And I don't know how. I do not know how it can be done. We are so divided. But I feel that my mission to respond correctly to his calling is to lift up Jesus Christ. John 3, 3 says, until a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And therein is part of the struggle is, is when you witness to people, it has no meaning to them. They cannot see the truth of it because they have not yet accepted Jesus Christ and been born again. They have to take that step of faith before it becomes true and becomes real. And it's a struggle. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit is persistent in calling us all to truth. We simply must be teachable and willing to hear him. Point number two is accepting the gospel. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Christ brings salvation to everyone who believes. First thing that a person does when they hear and accept the gospel is pray the sinner's prayer. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I repent of my sins, and I ask you to save me. Come into my heart to dwell there and make me a new creature in you. 
Second thing is be baptized by immersion in water. In front of witnesses, lay down the old person as in a grave as you go into the water and symbolize the resurrection of the new person coming back up out of the water. Now a new person in Christ. And then to be baptized in spirit by laying on of hands and to have the Holy Spirit indwell you by invitation and then continually by making the Holy Spirit welcome. And that means allowing the Holy Spirit to shine his light into our darkest corners. And the scripture that, you, that says, bring forth fruit, meet for repentance, I used to look at that and go, what does that mean? It means that in our lives, whatever fruit we bear, whether it's good or bad, the Holy Spirit will show us the bad fruit. That is what we need to bring and lay at the foot of the cross and repent from it. And the Holy Spirit will work with us continually through the course of our life to bring us into perfection when we submit to that process. We commit to join in the fellowship of the body of Christ and be devoted to the building of God's kingdom here on earth. Point number three. Points two and three are like, there's more sermons in there than my lifetime has to present, and I don't know it well enough to present it. But point number three, I think is critical. Point number three is the evidence of salvation. You are a new person indwelt by the Holy Spirit who leads you to close the door to sin and pursue righteousness. God creates a new heart, a new mind, and gives a new purpose. You grow from being visited by the Holy Spirit to being filled with the Holy Spirit because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. I reached a point in my life where when I decided I had to get right with God and that process that came just within the, the weeks that followed that, I began to examine my life for everything that I thought stood between me and intimate relationship with God and I wanted it out of my life. I think we, we need to reach that point where we recognize the immense love God has shown he has for us by giving us his son who was crucified to pay the price of our sin and to open the doors of heaven to us. Not just the world, but the Bud Lightfoot individually. Each person in here, in your mind, say your name, say your name. God did it for you, not just for the world, not just for mankind. It's hard to understand that if you were the only person alive he would do it for you. You desire more than anything else because he loves you to love him in response and as much measure as you can bring to it. You desire more than anything else to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. You love to share the gospel. You love the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to remember him and honor his sacrifice. And in so doing, with taking the bread and the wine, you are cleansed from all sin, the same as the day you were baptized. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
There's two very familiar scriptures that I remember as a child, primarily Philippians 2.12. It says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And somewhere within my life's experience, I grew up believing that I had to earn my salvation. You can't. It's impossible for any one of us to be perfect enough to enter the kingdom without the blood of Jesus Christ paving the way. That scripture says, work out your own salvation in the fear and trembling. I think probably to emphasize the importance of working out the path of salvation, but it's not because it depends on your works. Second Nephi 11.43 says, Be reconciled to God, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all that we can do. No matter how much we do, all that we do, it still is we're saved by grace. Listen to me closely on this scripture. This is the one that tied it all together for me. Jesus answered, John 6.29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in him whom he has sent. Believe in Jesus. The father sent his son, Jesus, believe in him. Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself, the Holy Spirit within us, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and there's the evidence of our salvation. If we feel it's left to us with our works, how can you escape the anxiety of not knowing? Once you've encountered Christ, given your life to him, you love him enough to seek a full reconciliation, to live in unity with him, to purpose your life to his service, to help him build his kingdom. What purpose does fear and anxiety serve within that process? It limits our faith. Our faith is in Christ. He is our Savior. He is our guide, our companion, our teacher. If you believe that your works or anything else other than your name being on the roll in heaven with the names of the redeemed, you've been deceived. Billy Graham said this, I found that the casual Christian has little or no influence for good upon others. Only the Christian who refuses to compromise in matters of honesty, integrity, and morality is bearing an effective witness for Christ. And I don't think there's a, a person ever born who can be successful in having no compromise in matters of honesty, integrity, and morality unless they have the Holy Spirit. Another scripture that you could use in the same place of that is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all things will be added unto you. But if we don't put him first, we're at risk of losing more than we care to lose. Being saved by grace and not by works does not mean you can continue in sin. 
there's no free pass because you've accepted Christ that sin is no longer inconsequential. Continuing a sin is the path to death and hell, but works will not bring your salvation. It becomes a question of motivation. First, God loved us. Once we really get that, and we understand his love and sacrifice for us that is ongoing, how then can we not love him? How can we not respond? How can we not give him our best? How can we have close fellowship with him if we live in sin, which separates us from him? The consequence of sin is pain. Ongoing sin increases his pain on the cross, as well as the pain we suffer in life on earth. That realization made me want to determine to remove all sin from my life that I could. And that process continues daily for the rest of my life. There's something that I call the residue of sin. Once you've been as far out in the woods running with the wolves as I have, there's a residue of that sin. And it, and it has consequence yet to this day. I think the greatest testimony that anybody can have is from their youth, they recognize the value of intimate relationship with God. They chose to serve him from an early age and they spared themselves living with a deep residue of sin. I wish that that was my testimony. But I look forward to point number four, the consummation of salvation. That's graduation day. We leave this clay vessel and ascend in spirit only into the heavens to be with Jesus in the kingdom of his Father, where he has prepared a place for us with the building materials we have sent ahead to be used for our dwelling. In closing, I want to share this story. A little girl walking with her father one evening looked up at the stars in heaven and said, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven looks this beautiful, what must the right side look like? Well, I don't know what I don't know, but I do know we needed to hear that sermon. Let's uh, stand and sing in closing hymn number 424.
Our Heavenly Father, let us use the principles that we heard this morning from Bud in our lives to improve our lives, to improve our witness and service to you. And thank you for the gift of your son that we might also live with you and be returned in our relationship with you. Be with us as we travel home and as we are about our activities this next weekend or this next week. Thank you for your love and your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.